It's great to be up here today. Uh, for the kids, hey guys, have you been enjoying doing the colourings today? Do you know these colourings that we're doing, they have our Bible verse that we're reading out of the Bible today. We're actually going to do Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Now, I'm not going to show that to you yet, but what I have done is go out in amongst the main street of Margaret River this week, and I've shown them these four symbols. And it's been very interesting to see what these four symbols mean to the different people on the street of Margaret River. So um, I hope that you can get to do this colouring in especially, and we can put it on our wall and we can say, this is what we're doing this week to help build the church. We're going to go ask people about what this symbol means. Who knows what this symbol here means? Can anybody see that symbol? That's a peace symbol. What about this symbol here? That's a peace symbol. What about this symbol? Peace symbol. Oh, what about this symbol? Well, that looks like peace as well. Guess what we're talking about today? Peace. We're talking about peace today. Um, when Jesus first started his ministry, he said, Repent, change your mind. Metanoia. Change the way you think the kingdom of God has drawn near to you. And he, as he said this, he had a very real gospel that he wanted to tell people about. And one of the elements of this gospel is peace. So I'm going to go build this on our wall. Is that okay? Can I build this on the wall just now? Where should I stick it down here? That's a good spot. Oh, sorry, Rex, can't see it. That's okay. We'll get higher and higher as we go on, as we go through. Um, so before we actually get into today's message, I want us to take, take us all for a walk down the main street uh, so that we can hear the thoughts of the community about this subject. Are you right to go with that video, Terry? It might take a little while to load. Here I am walking down the main street, asking people questions about peace. Let's see what we can find. If I showed you this, if I showed you this picture, oh, yeah. oh, that's, like, that's like peace. Do you mean that's the peace symbol? Yep. Well, that's like, that's like peace as in like yeah. friendship and like unity. Yeah. And hippie, okay. <laughs> oh, that is the peace that's symbol. That's the peace symbol. Peace, but it lies with more of the hippie breed. That's the victory. That's peace as well. But that's this one. That's a dove. That's like freedom. Freedom. The peace dove. It's probably starting to be a bit more something that means something to me. Noah's Ark. Cool. Dove. Church. Ah, church. Represents the Holy Spirit. Jesus on the cross. That's the pigeon flying away from his mother's funeral. <laughs> so, when I say the word peace, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Um, the opposite of violence. <laughs> the opposite of violence? <laughs> Harmony amongst all people. I guess the definition of peace in the dictionary is lack of conflict. No, no maybe like being by yourself with like one other person, like relaxing. Okay, yep, nice. And. No war. I like it. Okay. Are <laughs> uh, inner peace and world peace connected? What's that? World peace oh, or inner peace? Inner peace. Oh, inner peace. Yes. What is inner peace? You have to be. You have to. Tell me why. Well, if you don't have inner peace, you can't be part of world peace. Do you need inner peace to be able to have world peace? Yes. Yes. Because yes. you need to be comfortable with yourself before you give it out. Yeah. I think. Peace is something that's tangible rather than just lack of peace. Now, Jesus, as a spiritual leader, made the statements in, about peace in phrases like, don't be anxious for anything, and my peace I give to you. 
Do these sayings mean anything 2,000 years later? Nah. I mean, everyone kind of still gets anxious, so... Yeah. Yeah. So people are still anxious, so they yeah. still need to hear, don't be anxious? Yeah. yeah. No, because it's not going to do anything. It, they need, like, more explanation. Well, they definitely mean just as much now as they did then, but... Whether we practice that is another thing. I, is it possible to not be anxious for anything today? Yeah. You think anxiousness is just inherent to life? Yeah. Okay, cool. No worries. Just be nice to your fellow man. That's all we do. What would change? That's a hard you? question. Absolutely. Everything. Climate change. World peace in general. Yeah. Yeah. Everything we need to change yeah. for us to actually be happy if we truly thought about it to the end. Sure. Otherwise we really couldn't be. Okay. Peace is a lot, a lot more valuable if you can agree to disagree and still love, so it's... Uh, I don't think we're ever going to get people. But they're self-centred. It's a networking community. Well, over definitely the church. Just put it up here. It's very good. Uh, they, have, they have something on every Sunday. Okay, they, go, they have a church service. Okay, cool. I'm going to show this to the people at the church. And, and we're going to actually think about ways that we can bring that peace to Margaret River. I reckon doing more communal events. Thanks so much, guys. Okay, thank you. You guys are awesome. Thank you so Was that helpful for us to see what the, what the town thinks about peace? Sorry about the road noise. Uh, when Matt says to us, um, give me a call during the week, it's because I want, I want somebody to help me just hold a microphone as we go around so that we can actually get people's opinions more or we can actually do something fun. Uh, so basically, we're into the kingdom of God as Jesus would have preached it and he would have preached it out of Isaiah and there are uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven things in Isaiah that we're going to work through as we lead into Christmas and one of those things is peace, which is why we're here. This is our series that we're in now. Okay, so we've got peace. That's today. We've got to get into joy. We've got to get into uh, restoring community. We've got to get into uh, deliverance and salvation. We've got all of these things that make up Jesus' gospel that he would have preached. And I want you to help me come up with something each week that we can do on our main street uh, or in our communities to help bring these things to different people to... Make the kingdom real. Draw The kingdom of God is drawn near to you. How can we make that real to our people this week in our community, in our town, the people that we know? Does that sound good? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, that's part of uh, something and the reason why I got into that uh, for peace. Now, those are the questions that I asked. Um, effectively, peace and harmony, no more hatred or deception. When we think about peace, we think about there was a question about whether we did world peace or whether we did inner peace. And it's like, you notice the question that I had there. Can we have world peace without inner peace? And it's interesting that I borrowed inner peace as a, a way to say it uh, from the Buddhist context of inner peace rather than um, Christianity and the peace of Jesus indwelling. But I think I was being contextual as I chose that. But anyway, um, let's keep moving on and get into what I've got written down on my notes here. So on October 24th, 1945, 52 days after the end of World War II, the United Nations was created with the purpose 
to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war, which twice in our lifetime has brought untold sorrow to mankind. And so the United Nations was formed and it does really good work, but it's actually failed in its stated goal because within three months of it being formed, uh, Russia fell. George Bush said this was the best thing since sliced bread, that Russia has fallen down. And then within three months after that, Saddam Hussein in, invaded Kuwait uh, and the world has once again plunged into a worldwide or everybody's sort of ganging up uh, onto each other for war. Human history shows that even with the best intentions and the strongest will, it's impossible for man to stop war. And so war is actually the opposite of peace, isn't it? On a world scale. And what about in our community? What about in our own families? What about in our own self? So we've looked at world war, but what about ourselves? What about in our own communities? What does peace look like for you? I wonder what verses Jesus drew on for himself and I wonder what verses he drew on to help others to live peaceably. So the rest of the Bible wasn't written when Jesus was growing up and he didn't have access to the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke or, Don, Luke or John. Instead, he developed the gospel that he preached around the poetic book of Isaiah. And Isaiah had such a way with words, such a poetic way of uncovering truth and making people see not only the depth of the world's problems, but also the height of the idealistic and so our topic today is peace, and Jesus would have read these words and known that we're about to look at, and known immediately how they applied and outworked in his peace of the kingdom of God. So for an example of the poetic nature of Isaiah, and an easy example of the imagery and the words of peace that would have come quickly to Jesus' mind, uh, we can look at Isaiah uh, chapter 11, verse 6 onwards. Let me just grab one of these kids for you. Hey guys, this is what What is it? What's in this picture? Is that a pig? Is it a wolf? Is it a wolf with a lamb? It's a wolf with a lamb, isn't it? So good. Okay, verse 6 says, The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the young yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know, this is the peace that Jesus brings into the world as he says, the kingdom of God has drawn near to you. Imagine any of this imagery actually being real in today's world. Can you imagine trying to stick a lamb next to a wolf? Can you imagine a hand of a kid going into a viper's nest? And so in that regard, I believe Isaiah was a master poet, that he was able to show us this idealistic world. And so, yeah, that's the lofty, but what about the depth of how far we've fallen, how far we've missed the mark or the Torah, if you uh, follow the Hebrew word, as humans? From Adam and Eve, through all the judges, through all the kings of Israel. Isaiah writes also of the depth of depravity. If you flip over your page, if you're in the book of Isaiah, you can flip back to chapter 1. And you can pick out the key words there. He says in chapter 1 that we have tendencies towards manipulation. We have tendencies towards rebellion. We have tendencies towards theft, special treatment of people. We, we tend towards injustice. We tend towards unfairness. We tend towards pride. And we don't see how far 
We don't have to look far in our own world to see this at work even 2,000 years later. And so as we come to today's passage in Isaiah chapter 2, I believe that Jesus would be speaking to us from this as he says that his kingdom is a kingdom of peace. Uh, Let me read it out. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 5. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. It's a beautiful passage. Let's walk through this uh, passage verse by verse to see where the Spirit of Christ will lead us this morning. Verse 2, in the last days. I don't know how long you guys have been in the church for, but we're in the last days in terms of whatever Christ implemented at Pentecost. He's given us the Spirit of God. We are working within that. And yet there is a now, we already have the freedom and the victory of Christ. And yet we're in this not yet period. We're in the now and not yet. Um, as I was looking at the commentators, the commentators said in the last days doesn't mean necessarily uh, that as we're looking forward to the last days, it's actually saying the Jewish people as a people, they walked backwards into the future. They were looking backwards from their past and they were walking towards what they saw. So in the last days in that regard. And so we're in this time of the not yet, the already but not yet, whereas the church we are a sign and a foretaste of the kingdom of God. And the words here in future days don't necessarily refer to the end times, but commentators say they're actually for us here and now as the church in this age of the church. And so how can we outwork these things that are in this passage for us here and now as we move forward? The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established, part B of verse 2, as the highest mountains. As we move into this next section, we see Isaiah being contextual to his community. He's helping everyone around see the one who brings the peace. As he talks of the eminence, the greatness of God, he talks of God's dwelling place in a way that those around would be able to grasp the message. Being contextual in a sense that the Greek readers, the Greek readers would read about Olympus up on their hill. The Phoenician people that he would be speaking to, the Phoenician people would be reading and they'd be thinking about their god Cassius who also lives up on his mountain. And yet here we have the Lord, the Christian God, or not even yet, the Hebrew God, the Israelite God, dwelling on his mountain and not just any mountain, it's the highest of mountains. Our God will be the God over every other thing. The Lord God will be the one who is the God. And it will be exalted above the hills is the next part. And all the nations will stream to it. And so as God is revealed as the God, the nations will take note and they will recognise the kingdom. Not only will they recognise it, but they're going to come willingly to it. Have you ever played the game where you throw the stick in the stream and you just you follow the, the stick down the water? Kids, have you ever played that game where you throw the stick in the stream and it flows down? Does the, does the stick ever flow up the other way? No, it always goes which way? Down... Downstream, doesn't it? Isn't it interesting in here that 
in this passage that all of the nations will stream towards God. As God is revealed, there's something transcendent that happens that actually it goes beyond us. It goes the opposite way. This is the metanoia. This is the changing of the mind that Jesus was teaching, teaching us about. He's saying, get ready for something completely different about how life works. And so when he says his kingdom is a kingdom of peace, it'll be in a way that's completely different to anything we experience here in a worldly sense. And God has the power to do this. God is the God. God is at his temple, the highest home of God, above all the other houses of all the other gods. And so let's keep moving. Although this text has verse 3 next, I want to look at verse 4 next. I want to look at what peace outworked looks like, the ideal end point of Jesus' gospel. He says this, he says, He will judge the nations and he will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for more war anymore. If you're a fan of the book of Micah, this is also in the book of Micah, and we're not sure who borrowed what from who, but I don't think that's a problem. In this passage here, though, we see that all disputes will be settled, not just for the individual, but for the different nations. This is the opposite of what we see in chapter 1. This is unlikely. This is the unlikely reversal from the self-seeking to the other-seeking, from self-satisfaction to actually God's contentment in a person, to the point where the weapons are turned into tools useful for building. You know that word plowshares, right? This, uh, this picture here. Hey, kids, have you seen this picture? How cool is this picture? The guy with the hammer and he's beating a sword down and it's turning it into something that you could dig a hole with? Have you seen that picture? Does anybody, has anybody been visiting around the world and they've seen where this statue actually is? I think it's outside the UN. I think it is. I haven't done my research on it. But how cool is that picture, Nate? Do you like that picture with the guy with the big hammer? Yeah, so cool. Anyway, let's keep going. I love this passage. Swords become plowshares. I like the translation in, into the Hebrew. If you have a look at the word plowshares in the Hebrew, it's actually like the head of an axe. It's a, it's a tool useful for digging or chipping away. And so what we've got is something that's turned from a weapon used to kill or to procure something that you want for your life. It's actually turned into a tool useful for building a house, for building a community, helpful for, cutting, keep, peop, helpful for keeping people warm through cutting firewood, helping keep people fed by tilling soil. Spears turned into sickles for pruning and tending to gardens. The ultimate in peace. Some might say this harks back to the Garden of Eden. The perfect relationship of mankind with God and with humankind with the earth. And so in this you can see not only a worldwide perspective but also an individual stance. Their disposition moves towards peacefulness. And you can see why Christ would want to restore the earth to this position. You can see how peace outworked like this in the world would look like the kingdom of God drawing near to people, yeah? And so how do we get there? How, do we, how does Jesus say, let's, let's do this? How do we get to that point? How do we get the, head to the place where, where you go, oh man, the world is just awful, or the, the world is selfish and self-seeking or unfair and prideful? How do we get from the place of, man, I've, I've been sinned against, I've been knocked about, I've been unfairly treated, and I've been put down? Why? Why does this happen to me? Why, God, why can't I have peace? How does peace come about in these situations? 
I love what it says in verse 3. Let's go back a verse to verse 3. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we might walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word from the law of Jerusalem. You might go, hang on, Damo, that verse doesn't tell us anything about peace. The, peace. the word peace is not even in there. But remember when I said at the start that Isaiah was a great poet. Hidden in this verse in the Hebrew is an amazing way of considering how to come to a place of peace. And it's hidden in these lines. Come, let us go. He will teach so we might walk. There's a backwardness to it in this verse, and I love it. There's a moment where we have to turn ourselves around and change our thinking once again. Come, let us go. He will teach so that we might walk. We have to re-engage in the way of the kingdom as Jesus thought about it. In this verse, we find the path to peace, be it peace on earth or peace within your own uh, tribe or peace within your own heart. And here's how the line unpacks in Hebrew. This is how it's back to front. Okay, How are we meant to go when we haven't learnt to walk yet? Right? Come, let us go, hang on a second, so that we might walk after he's taught us. Hang on, we're going, he hasn't taught us yet, so we, how does that work? Right? This is the backwardness to it. Okay? How are we meant to go when we haven't learnt to walk yet? It's only in our going that we might walk. It's only in our going that there's teaching for us to accept. Let me say that again. It's only in our going that we might walk. It's only in our going that there's teaching for us to accept. And so we see that going is for teaching and for walking is for being taught. Where do we gain our teaching from in this passage? Jesus, the Lord. And how do we get there? How do we get to that? We've got to go first. And so asking the why of why this happens to us, why is the world so bad? Why? Well, actually, the why is pointless. It's an endless circle. By all means, ask the question, but in the end, you'll come to the same place as Isaiah or the book of Ecclesiastes. The learning is for the purpose of living. The living is for the purpose of learning. Let me tell you a story. I know a man who married a beautiful lady who five years ago or so developed breast cancer. They have two sons, and when you develop cancer like that, there's, no, there's never a feeling of being free from it. This might, it might come back, it might not. It's every possibility that this will be the thing that ends her life. And in the meantime, the family is turned upside down with the boys not knowing how much longer they'll have their mum for. Will they be around at their 18th birthday? Will, will she be around? Will, will she be around at their 21st birthday party? And the question that they found themselves asking in this space was why? This is not peaceful. Well, I don't have inner peace at all. This is not okay. Why? Why me? Why? Why? And in that space, and then coming out of that space, there grew a renewed purpose to life, an understanding of the preciousness for family, for them, a gentleness and a willingness to engage in other people's pain. And it was only through this process, process of going that they learnt the wisdom lesson for this family. It's only in the living through it did they come to terms with it and then come to peace with the situation. At the moment, she's alive are still clear of her cancer and I look forward to spending moments with this family whenever I get the chance. I'm reminded of the passage in Proverbs chapter 3 where it says, Blessed are those who find wisdom. All her ways are pleasant. 
all her paths lead to peace. And so it's important to recognise here where this peace comes from. Verse 3, the mountain of the Lord, the temple of the God of Jacob. It's interesting that they didn't use the, uh, the more direct Jerusalem or Judah here. It's actually bigger than just one tribe. It's the whole of the Israelite family, the whole. And who does the learning come from? He, the Lord, will teach us his ways. It's in the ways of the Lord. It's in acknowledging God as king and father overall, the one that's on the highest mountain, that we're actually able to gain this correct perspective. It's in acknowledging and being receptive and learning from our God that we find the way of peace. And it's only in our learning as we go, it's only in our relationship with God, we recognise and find our place in the world. The commentator Oswald says, unless God teaches us, we cannot work. But unless we come, he cannot teach. Unless God teaches us, we cannot walk. But unless we come, he cannot teach. Let's go back to verse 4 for a minute. He will judge the nations and will settle disputes for many people. How is it that we've come to a place where the world is constantly at war? We haven't been out of Afghanistan for two months before we're being drawn into another conflict, referring, of course, to the Taiwanese, hey, come and help us. You know, where do these conflicts draw their strength? Where do our own personal conflicts draw their strength? In our community or in amongst our families? You know, does it boil down to pride, arrogance? You know, a people or a person wanting more than what they currently have, whether rightly or wrongly? You know, from Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, Kim Jong-un, Xi Jinping. You know, it's only through taking our complaints and our desires to God do we gain an understanding of what is just, justice. And we've got a sermon coming up about justice in a couple of weeks. It's only as I lay down my own selfish desire before Christ that I develop a sense of peace for the future. As I lay down my desire for what I want, as I recognise what I want in the world, I want this. Hang on a second, is this actually right for me to want this? I take this to God. After I've taken it to God, I then decide whether or not, hang on a second, is this appropriate for me? Let me tell you a story. Last week we were on holidays. Uh, we came across a farm where the owner was an avid aquarium fanatic. He's, in his aquariums, in his tanks, he kept turtles. And if you know anything about my youngest daughter, Lexi, yay! Uh, she, is, she just thought that this was heaven, that the tanks would have turtles in it. So good, so good. And all the way home, this was basically heaven on earth for my daughter, okay? All the way home, one hour's drive. Dad, I need a turtle. Dad, I need a turtle for a pet. Dad, can we have a turtle? Please, Dad, please. I love it. She's still young. She doesn't hate me for sharing this story yet, which is great. <laughs> I have to say that as she was, as she was sharing, as, as she was saying this to me, I recognised in myself what I do when I want something. Oh, I need that. I want this thing. I, I really want it. I, I need it. And I'll say that to myself. And I heard it in her and I hear it in myself as, I, as she says it. And I'm ashamed for me as I think these things, as it's reflected to me in my daughter. Do you catch that? Yeah? I see her desire and I see the same desire in me. I see some things that I want and no matter if that thing that I want will hurt 
someone else or if it'll hurt somebody else as it's being made. I don't care because I just want to gain possession of it. And so, you know, I'm ashamed of my desire when I do these things because I know that somewhere because of that desire, the world is not at peace. And I'm part of the cause. Maybe you feel it for yourself in some desires that you have. And so it's only when we pass all these things that we do through the judge of the nations that he's going to settle our disputes. It's only when we pass our idea of what we want in our lives by the Holy Spirit that we will have peace. 1 Timothy 6 verses 6 to 9 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Man, do I want to live in that space. A space where man's desires don't overstep each other and division is no more. Where peace is freely available to all. Where, where the world is in that Eden space. That space that happened before man reached further than what he should have. Woman, man, person. The perfect outworking of the kingdom. Where you can trust in God for all your, all your needs. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will be kept in perfect peace, those who trust in you. Where we know it personally, John 14 verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you. Philippians 4 verse 7 you says that you can have a peace that transcends all understanding. Where Isaiah chapter 11 verse 6 says, The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. And so this is the peace that Jesus was referring to when he said that the kingdom of God is drawn near. This is the peace that needs to be presented and outworked as we take on the mission of God for our community. I want to give you a couple of minutes now um, just to think in amongst yourselves, in, in your thoughts, um, just to think over something and uh, it might be an area that's giving you uh, anxious thoughts. It might be an area where you actually say, you know what, I shouldn't have actually done that. I see where that could have harmed somebody along the way and maybe I need to write that in my life this week. So take, take 30 seconds for yourself now. We pray together as we close. Lord God, you know our hearts. Lord, in this space, we want to bow them to you. We want to acknowledge where we, where we don't bring our thoughts and our desires to you. Run them past you to know if they're a, a just and a fair thought. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us bring peace to our situations in our own family lives, in our own uh, inner peace, being comfortable in ourselves because we're comfortable with you. Lord, I pray for the people in this room. If you're, if you're thinking, I don't know much about this God stuff, Lord, I pray that you would open and soften their hearts to learn more about you and more about what the kingdom of God would mean as it draws near to us as people. Lord, for those of us that have walked with you for a long time, Lord, be near to us. Bring us that peace that transcends understanding. Lord, help us make right what we've made wrong this week by accident or by, by not accident. Intentionally, we might have hurt somebody this week. Lord, I pray that you would set in us a conviction to right that wrong. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live out the kingdom that is drawn near to us, your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And everybody said amen. It's good. Thanks, Matt.